Think about a miracle for a minute. And what a miracle always does is it always provides a moment for someone to experience something they weren't expecting. To experience something that in their minds and their hearts they, they, they couldn't even dream possible. Have you ever found yourself longing for one of those moments? Longing for a moment to happen in your life, a moment where you could experience something that, that maybe could take you out of your current circumstances and, and put you in a better light? Have you ever desired to be a part of a different story? It's interesting because there's stories all around us. If we were to take time this morning and just begin sharing stories, everyone has a different story. Now, one of the things about me, and you may know this or may not, um, Kasha and I love to watch on TV. Um, there's a certain channel we really like and a certain type of show that we really like. We are PBS masterpiece lovers. Does anyone else in the house like love a little masterpiece in PBS? You may go, okay, Pastor Brian, why in the world are you telling us that you love that? So for me, I, I, love, I love a good drama. Like, there's something about that. And, and I like also, I love uh, settings that are kind of set back in, in time. And, and I'm not really big on the current dramas and stuff. I, I, I like watching dramas that were, you know, you know back in England, you know, and, the, and like with Queen Victoria or, or back in, you know, like other si settings and times. And so the thing about a, a drama is this, is that dramas are filled with, with heroes. They're filled with People being selfish at times, people betraying others, they're filled with love, they're filled with sacrifice, they're filled with struggles. The thing about them is they're filled with, well, one word, and I think that's why they're called it, they're filled with drama. <laughs> and a lot of us are drawn towards drama. Now, normally someone does something in the drama that you see various other characters trying to work out. And you'll see through the, the lens of different characters in the story trying to work out the moments that others have experienced. And, and you get to see their feelings. You get to see the things that they're concerned about. And one of the things that you see in a lot of the dramas is you see their, their lives are filled sometimes with hurts, with pains, and so you begin to empathize with those characters who are on the screen. Sometimes you even watch them, and, and it's funny because I know that it's all done, but sometimes I see them and I'm, sitting there watching it with caution. I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. That's the stupidest thing. That's what they want. They're trying to pull you in. And I kind of start talking to the TV. But here's what I'll say. Life is filled with drama. Life around us is filled with drama. Now, if miracles are something that we're desiring, then where in the world and why, Pastor Brian, would you be talking about drama? Well, miracles, as we know by last week's definition, we, we said this, it's wonders. We talked about it's, it's wonder-causing events that produce astonishment in the beholder. When I, when I think about drama and I think about the drama that's all around us, I think that what the world is trying to do is the world is trying to steal our wonder. The world is trying to steal our astonishment. We all love miracles. We all love moments when we think about the divine nature of God leaving heaven and coming down to earth. A moment where we see God moving in the hearts and lives of, of his people. Miracles happening. We love to think about that and we would love to experience that. But here's what I know about drama. 
is that life is filled with drama and that many times the drama in our lives produces this one thing that I want to talk about today, and it's called unforgiveness. See, drama produces unforgiveness all the time. Because drama is filled with hurts, it's filled with pains, it's filled with misunderstandings, it's filled with mistakes, it's filled with good times and bad times. Life is filled with these good times and bad times, and sometimes we look at life and we say life is filled with drama. In fact, a lot of us, we know people who are drama, quote unquote, and some of us like being around those people, some of us don't like being around those people. But what happens is, is drama always produces in people's lives unforgiveness. Because people struggle, people have hurts, people have wrongs. Now, unforgiveness, it's interesting, is actually classified as a medical, um, is classified in medical books as a disease. There's been a lot of studies that actually have gone into unforgiveness and they talk about how unforgiveness actually causes lifelong illnesses that people experience. In fact, according to Dr. Stephen Stanford, he's the chief surgeon at the Cancer Treatments of America. He says this, he says, refusing to forgive people makes people sick all the time. It keeps them that way. He goes on to say, harboring these negative emotions, this anger and hatred creates a state of chronic anxiety. As I was soaping this week, the Lord, during one of the passages that I was reading, just dropped this in my heart. And he said this, he said, unforgiveness hinders miracles. And he said, Brian, I want you to speak on unforgiveness. I was like, but God, like, we're talking about miracles. And he's like, yeah, I know. That's what we're talking about. Now, I want that to sink in for a minute. We all desire to see a miracle. We all desire to experience a miracle. We all long for those moments where heaven touches earth. But could there be things that are hindering those miracles from happening? Now, listen, I understand that God is bigger than your unforgiveness and, the, and bigger than my unforgiveness. So he's not limited by that. God can always break through. He's God. He does those things all the time. There are times where he heals people where there is no faith involved in that person's life whatsoever. He just chooses to heal them. Guess what? He's God. He gets to do that. But if unforgiveness hinders miracles, wouldn't we want to then remove unforgiveness? Wouldn't we want to not experience unforgiveness? Because if it's something that's hindering miracles then why would we want it in our lives? Now, we're going to dig into the Scripture, so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. But I think one of the reasons, as you're turning there, that we don't see more miracles, I think sometimes is because we hold on to things that hinder the miracle from happening. We are shackled in our lives to unforgiveness. I've seen it. In fact, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus told them this. He said, I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. So the miracle taking place doesn't have to be us having enough faith to where it will somehow then take place. No, the miracle can take place. The scriptures tell us this. It can take place with just a little bit of, of faith. 
Have you ever seen a mustard seed, how small they are? I mean, we're talking a small amount of faith is all that's needed. So it's not the miracles taking place around us. They're not not happening because of faith. I think sometimes it's not happening because of unforgiveness. But here's the good news. If unforgiveness hinders miracles, then forgiveness releases miracles. Come on, that's good news. If unforgiveness would hinder a miracle, then forgiveness then would release a miracle. Come on, you need a miracle in your life? Some of you just need to release some forgiveness. Some of you need to release some forgiveness towards others who have wronged you. I've been reading this book by Jetson Franklin actually called Love Like You've Never Been Hurt. And and a lot of the insights that he shares in that book have greatly impacted this message. And here's one of the things that I've realized as I've been reading through that book, is we all struggle and have struggled with unforgiveness. We've all had to process through forgiving someone who wronged us. We've all had to process through a moment where things didn't go the way we thought they should go. We've all had to process through mistakes that others have caused that that upset us, that made us mad, that, that caused anger to grow up. There's all these emotions that we've all had to process through. We've all had to process through them. Even Jesus' closest disciples had to process through them. In fact, there's one guy in the scriptures, his name's Peter. I had you guys open up to Matthew 18. This will be the passage of scripture we'll be looking at today. But Peter asked Jesus a question. Because if you had Jesus right with you, wouldn't it be great to be able to just ask him some questions? Wouldn't it be great just to be able to sit down with Jesus, you know, over coffee? My brother-in-law was in town the past two days, and so we went out and we, we... um, I had some coffee, and it was like, man, there was a moment where we were just sitting there talking, and I was like, ah, this is fantastic. Like, I get to just sit down and, and, and be with him. Can I just tell you something? You can do the same thing with Jesus. That's called prayer. Every day you get to sit down and be with Jesus, hang out with him. You get to spend time with him. And Peter is with Jesus, and, and this is what the scriptures say. It says, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone? who sins against me. And then just, this is how I picture it. It's almost like he comes in and he's like, Lord, how how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? And it's almost like he's going to be really generous in this moment. He's like, seven times? Like, is that that good, Jesus? Like, like seven times? Wouldn't wouldn't that be enough? I think Peter maybe even had it in the back of his mind, or maybe his response to Jesus was, so, like, I know James over here, Like, he has wronged me six times. How many times, God, am I supposed to forgive? Seven times? Because if he does it one more time, like, he's going to get it. But look what Jesus responds in verse 22. It says this. No, not seven times. And can you imagine Peter? He's like, okay, well, if not seven, then what? Seventy times seven. Could you imagine this equation right here unfolding? 77 times 7. Now, math is not necessarily a strong point in the Henley household. Right, guys? In fact, my kids are always complaining. They're always like, man, math. Math is that one grade, you know, like that's always trying to get us, you know. Jordan's been taking the ACT and SAT and, right, those two? Oh, just the SAT. Gotcha. 
She's been taking those tests, and it's the math. She rocks everything else out, but that stinking math. So I'm like, you need to study more. She's like, Dad, just give up. <laughs> We're Henleys. It's math. So I didn't do that well in school in math. And apart from Josiah, who's our youngest, like he does pretty good with math if we can get him to be motivated. But the one thing that I am really good at, I'm good at keeping track of numbers. In fact, I can remember numbers in their vicinity. And so like, I know people who have worked with me, I'm pretty good at remembering numbers. Nicole's shaking her head. She knows, like, I'm pretty good at remembering the vicinity of numbers. But here's, here's one thing that I'm not, I'm not good at remembering specifics. And the problem with math is, is that close enough doesn't count in math. Oh, the teacher never says, oh, you got close enough, great job. That never happens. Math is filled with a lot of absolutes. And here's what I think about. There are a lot of us who are living life filled with a lot of absolutes. Mathematical absolutes. See, what you're really good at is you're really good at keeping track of the wrongs that have been committed against you. You're really good at keeping score. Some of you have like a photographic memory. You know every person who's ever wronged you, things they've said about you, wrongs that have happened, things that have happened in your life. Like you have like a photographic memory. You know each and every one. It's like an absolute, it's like a mathematical absolute for you. You know the exact year, the exact month, the exact day, the precise time of every single offense that has come your way. You've created a mental spreadsheet of how each person has hurt you and, you, and what you've done is you've tallied up the marks. So it's like this, my spouse criticized the way I did something, and you check it off. It's like, check. Then, then he or she forgot your birthday or your anniversary. Check. Then they didn't fill your love tank. No gifts, no words of appreciation, no quality time, no acts of service, no physical touch. Check. Or maybe it's your coworker who took credit for your work, your work, and you're like, check. Or then they wronged you in front of others and were talking about all the great things they've done, but it was really your work that they'd done. Check. Or your boss comes in and, and doesn't give you a good review because they say, we don't really know that you're really doing a whole lot. Someone else stole your work. Check. Your dad said hurtful things to you. Check. Your mom didn't say you tried hard enough. Check. Your family member abused you. Check. And the check's been going on and on and on and some of us it's been like absolutes you've had trouble forgiving and instead of releasing others you've hung on to them for dear life what's happened is you've turned your unforgiveness into mathematical absolutes you've turned your unforgiveness into a mathematical Absolute. They wronged me, check. They hurt me, check. My spouse did this, check. My spouse did this to my kids, check. My spouse, check, check, check. My coworker, check, check. My family, check. Like you have been checking box after box. And no matter how many times you've been hurt, here's the one thing I need you to hear this morning. The Bible is clear on one thing. That no matter how many times, it doesn't matter how many times you've, you've been hurt, there's one thing that you are required to do as a believer. You are required to forgive. We've said up here, we say we, we must 
forgive. See, this passage where we see Jesus interacting with Peter and saying to Peter, hey, 77 times 7, I mean, just real quick, the math would be 490 times a day that you and I are to forgive someone. Now, I'm not the best at math, but I do know how to do some, you know, a little bit of division, and I know how to use my calculator. And so here's what I found. Based on a day, every three minutes, if every three minutes you had to forgive somebody, you'd still have enough if it's 490 times a day. So was Jesus saying to Peter, hey, Peter, once you get to 491, dude, give it to him. No, that's not what he was saying here. What he was saying to Peter is is that you have to stop keeping score and you need to start losing count. Man, that's good right there. In fact, there's a slide for it. (laughs) Stop Stop keeping score and start losing count. Think about that. Jesus was saying to Peter, listen, stop keeping score. Stop stop worrying about how many times someone's wronged you and start losing count. Just start losing count how many times you forgave that person. Just start losing count how many times you've forgiven that person who wronged you, that spouse who did that. See, forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. Listen, you and I, what Jesus was saying is you can forgive all day long. And here's the crazy thing is we love receiving forgiveness, but we struggle giving forgiveness. C.S. Lois wrote it this way. He said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely ideal until they have something to forgive. (laughs) So why do we keep checking the box? Why do we not forgive? Let me share with you some truths that I think will help us boil down some of the misconceptions that are around us. See, you and I have misconceptions as to what forgiveness does. So let me show you truth. Here's truth. Forgiveness does not mean you forget what happened. See, some of us, you look at it and you're like, I, I can't forget what happened, so there's no way I could forgive them. Some people say this. They say, forgive and forget. Ever heard anyone say that? Just forgive and forget. But how many of you know it's, it's hard to forget, isn't it? It's hard to forget if the image of catching your spouse in an act of being unfaithful is what you experienced. It would be hard to forget if the image of your loved one physically or verbally abusing yourself or a loved one was there. It'd be hard to forget a parent who would have abandoned you. It'd be hard to forget someone who had violated you. It would be hard to forget a teenager who cleared out your bank account or your home for money, for stuff they were doing. See, what is hard is people say, I, can, I, I can't forget that. And so they say, so I could never forgive. But here's what I want you to hear this morning is that when you forgive someone, you don't deny the offense, you release it. See, forgiveness is actually releasing Forgiveness doesn't say that it didn't happen. It's not that you forget it. It's that you release them. You release yourself from it. You say, I'm no longer going to be bound by that anymore. If you were abused as a child and you forgive, it's not saying that that didn't happen. 
We're not trying to get into some mumbo-jumbo thing where it's like, well, let's just try to get you to repress that memory. We're not trying to get you to repress it. What we're trying to get you to do is to release it. Forgiving is releasing. It's not like all of a sudden it didn't happen. It's not like it wasn't real, it wasn't bad, and it didn't cause pain. But what forgiving does is when we release it, we stop keeping score and we start losing count. But see, what the enemy wants you to do is the enemy wants to keep you locked up in your pain. He wants you to keep reliving the drama and the moment over and over and over again. The way he does it is he does it through unforgiveness. See, forgiveness does not release the offender of the consequences as well. That's the second truth I need you to hear, is that forgiveness does not release the offender of the consequences. See, a lot of times what happens is is we say, I can't forgive because if I do, they'll get off scot-free. I'm waiting for them to finally own up and admit that they wronged me. I want them to take responsibility for their actions. But really what we're saying is we really want vengeance. We want them to get what should come to them. They wronged me, they hurt me, and I want justice. But I love what the scriptures say in Romans chapter 12. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Jesus is like, listen, listen, I'll take care of it. You forgive, I'll take care of them. You release, I'll take care of them. Stop trying to to do my job. (laughs) He says, vengeance is mine. Now listen to what he tells us to do, though. He goes on to say, to the contrary, so if you and I are to not worry about it, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not, be over, you, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. Do you know one of the things I love so much about good to great? Is that literally we are going out and showing good to people, and we are literally heaping coals on top of their head. Now you may go, what kind of imagery is that? Well, think about that for a minute. If, if, if someone was heaping burning coals upon your head, what would you want to do? You'd want to get them off. You'd be like, oh my, it, would put, it would create a moment inside of you that would cause you to realize that something's happening in this moment. Listen, when you and I continue to show good and love to people even when they wrong us, now listen, we all have been offended. We've all had moments where someone wronged us But the scriptures tell us that God will take care of it, and so you and I need to do what? We need to do good. It's not up to me and you to hold someone else accountable who wronged us. It's actually up to God. Let him do his job. Stop keeping score and start losing count. So back to our passage here in Matthew 18. Jesus shares this parable with Peter, because he actually says to Peter, he's like, remember he says 77 times 7. And then he's like, but let me share a story with you, Peter. Let me, let me share this story with you. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be ca- compared to a king who decided to bring up his accounts up to date. One of his servants who had borrowed money from him. So, so the king goes, he's, 
he looks through his accounts and finds a guy, and he's like, okay, here's one of the guys, and this is how much he owes me. goes on to say, in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. Now, I want you to picture this for a minute because what you have to remember is this guy owed a great, great debt. It says this, but when the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, I will pay it all, then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him. And what does it say he did? Forgave his debt. I mean, millions of dollars. Forgave his debt. Wiped it out. It's no longer there. Continues to say this. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a thousand dollars. Think about that. Just a few thousand dollars is what this guy owes him. And look at his response. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. How much was the man just forgiven? Millions. This guy owes him thousands. He demands the payment. Now look what it continues to say. It says his fellow servant fell down before him. Look familiar? Begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me, I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until his debt could be paid in when some other of the servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Verse 34, then the king Oh, wait, the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then he says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brother or sisters from your heart. Jesus, did you just say that if I don't forgive my brother, my sister, did you just say that I'll be thrown into a prison to be tortured until my debt is paid? It's interesting because this is the one part in Scripture where we see you and I are Literally told, listen, if you don't forgive, you can't receive forgiveness. See, if you don't release forgiveness, you won't receive forgiveness. And did you hear me? If you don't release forgiveness to people around you, people who have wronged you, people who have hurt you, you won't receive forgiveness. And you may say, Pastor Brian, that's just a parable. That's just a parable of Jesus Sharing there. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive others your trespasses, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if 
But here it is. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, if you don't release forgiveness, you won't receive forgiveness. So what do we have to do? We got to stop keeping score, and we got to start losing count. We've got to stop keeping score and start losing count. Stop keeping those mathematical absolutes going in your head. Because here's what I know. Unforgiveness wounds, but forgiveness heals. See, some of you, there are things that happened to you a long, long time ago, and you're still dealing with it, and you're going, I don't understand why I'm still dealing with this. That happened years ago, but it's because you have not forgiven. And so the unforgiveness continues to wound you. It continues to hurt you. It continues to, to just come right in and just scratch that. Anything that starts to heal just scratches it right off. But what forgiveness does is forgiveness actually heals. Forgiveness holds the key to freedom. It holds the key to miracles. It holds the key to wholeness. Stop letting unforgiveness keeping you from experiencing the miracles that are around you. Miracles are all around you, but could it be that forgiveness is the key for you to experience the miracle? And unforgiveness is the thing you have to let go of. When Jesus was on the cross, Luke chapter 23, he says this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Come on, forgiveness heals. Forgiveness heals. Forgiveness, like Corey Ten Boom, she said this. She said, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. And this is coming from a woman who was in prison in Nazi concentration camps. This is coming from a woman who forgave one of the guards that she recognized there at the Nazi concentration camp. See, when I was soaping this week, the Lord placed this upon my heart, this message. I said, if Bethany wants to see miracles, they first must forgive. So let me lead the way. See, I myself have to be reminded of this. Because as a pastor, what happens is, is I hear things, and I hear what people say, unfortunately, about me, and things they don't like, and decisions I make, and I'm not always the popular guy. People don't like the way I do things. They think I should have done it this way, and and what you may or may not know is when you're leading a church and it's full of 800 people, there are 800 different ideas of how you should do things. And so people say things, and I hear the distrust, and I hear their pain, and I see it through their actions. And there have been some times where I've been hurt by things that people have said. I've actually become angry by things people have said. Because the problem a lot of times is, is I don't even hear it from the person. I hear it from hearsay. And then something gets inside of me, and I, then I get angry, and I'm like, why can't they even come to me? Why can't they just come? If they have a problem with me, come and talk to me. So then I get angry about it. Like, I get angry in there, and then I hold on to these things inside of me. And the Lord was showing me this week. He said, Brian, you have unforgiveness in your own heart towards people who have wronged you as the pastor here at Bethany. And he said, you need to ask for forgiveness and grant it. And I was kind of arguing with the Lord because I was like, God, like, I didn't do anything wrong. And he's like, does that matter? And I 
heard the Lord say to me, Brian, you just need to stop. Stop keeping score. And you need to start losing count. And so here I stand in front of you and I say I forgive you. Because I'm not going to allow unforgiveness to ruin my heart and my life. And I know for many of you in the room it doesn't even apply to you. But I'm no longer going to allow those things to rule in my heart and my life. And so my prayer is this. Like Colossians 3.13 says, that we would bear with each other, forgive one another. If anyone has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Three practical steps. Open your heart to the healer. Extend compassion. And release the person from the prison in your heart. Three simple practical steps. And so I was asking the Lord, I said, God, what do you want to do? And he said, so here's what I want to do. I want to give them a time to come to the altar and to get some things right. See, for some of us in the room today, where you're sitting is you're sitting in a place where maybe unforgiveness has been hindering the miracle in your life. So you need to open your heart to the healer. You need to extend some compassion to those who have hurt you and wronged you. You need to release the person from the prison that's in your heart. Because see, here's what happens. When you don't forgive a person for something that they've done, some wrong they've committed, you lock them in the heart of your life. You, you, you lock them up inside. And what the Lord was showing me this, this week was he's, he was showing me, saying, Brian, listen, you have locked, you've allowed some people to control. You've allowed some unforgiveness to take place in there because I hear this and I hear this, this thing going around and then I get upset about it. And I'm like, why didn't they come and talk to me, right? I'm allowing that to then be locked in my heart. And then what that does is it becomes a filter for the way I see things. So then when someone does come to me in love, I start kind of almost questioning it because I'm like, oh, because my heart, I've got unforgiveness locked in there because someone else wronged me. Someone hurt me. They didn't do it the right way. And what the Lord was showing me is like, Brian, I want to deal with those areas in your life. So we had a prayer time and we, we had some moments where I just was calling out to the Lord and saying, okay, God, I'm going to release. I'm going to let go and I'm going to forgive. For me, that's just a simple little practical thing the Lord was revealing to me. Some of you in this room, man, I just, I know it. There are some things in your heart and your life you've been hanging on to. So here's what we're going to do across this room. If you could just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. We've got plenty of time. Once again, we've created time in this gathering for you to come down. And here's, here's the call. Today, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and he's revealing some things right now. Maybe even some things that you didn't even know were there. Some unforgiveness that you've been hanging on to. You've allowed to become a prison in your heart for others to stay in. And God today is saying, listen, that unforgiveness will hinder miracles from coming. But if you'll forgive, it will also release miracles. So today, we want to see miracles being released. So Father, right now, I pray that in these next few moments, as we gather along these altars, that Father, you will do a work inside of each and every one of us. 
that you will restore. God, that we'll realize, God, it doesn't take the consequences away that others need to experience. God, it doesn't, doesn't relieve others from, from the wrongs that have happened. No, no, God, what it actually does is it releases their hold on our lives. So, Father, be here in these next few moments. If you're here today and you're struggled and maybe this is an area and I, I know for some of you you're like man I got to get up in front of others and yeah you, you got to get up in front of them. I, just, I shared mine in front of all of you so today would you come come on I know there are people in this room like you need to come you need to come down this altar and you need to say God help me with this moment God you've forgiven me of much ultimately that is what the parable was all about Peter was being reminded of how much he's been forgiven. See, you've been forgiven of much. If you have a relationship with Jesus, he's forgiven you of your sins. If you have a relationship with Jesus, he's washed you while you snow. Your debt would be great. So don't be like the other servant in the story who once he was forgiven of much, then went and wouldn't forgive another. No, allow the forgiveness of God that you've experienced in your own life to extend out to others. Never let me go. 
scripture with you. As I was walking along and I was praying for everyone, I was like, it's interesting that it's all ladies up here right now. And I just felt like the Lord was just like, yep, got some hard-hearted men. Hard-hearted men. My heart was breaking in that moment. See, I think sometimes we think that forgiveness is weakness, but forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is freedom. That's why Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, it says this. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And then it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. It's interesting the things it says to get rid of. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander. I don't know too many women that deal with those things. A lot of times that's things I see a lot in men. It says be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God forgave you. See, God is a miracle working father nothing is impossible to him and what we need to do many times I think is we just we need to surrender some things in our lives sometimes as men I think and let me just talk to the guys for a second I I understand sometimes it's like I I don't even want to admit that someone wronged me I don't even want to say they even hurt me because there's something like inside my god I don't get hurt I don't but can I just say to you for a minute forgiveness will release you from that 
Forgiveness will release you. It will release you from the bitterness. It will release you from the rage. It will release you from the anger. Could it be that some of the reasons why some of us as men are dealing with bitterness, or why we're dealing with rage, while we're dealing with anger, even if it's just in the smallest forms, could it be that we're hanging on to unforgiveness? Could it be that we're hanging on to wrongs that have happened? That guy wronged me, they did this to me. They didn't take into account this. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. We're gonna keep the altars open this morning. And, but I just wanna pray over each and every one of us. If you still wanna come, you can come. The band will keep playing. We'll keep, create the environment and stuff. But Father, I pray right now across this room Father, that you would break down walls that have been built up. God, that you would soften hearts that have hardened. Father, that you would release men and women right now in this room, God, from unforgiveness. God, it's not a moment of weakness. It's a moment of reliance. It's a moment of saying, God, I can't do it on my own. I need you. Father, there is nothing that we can do in ourselves that would allow us to experience granting forgiveness to others. It only comes through you. It only comes through remembering the sacrifice that you paid for us. And even as a song that we've been praying, Father, and been singing, God, it says, draw me close to you, never let me go. And then the next one is, I lay it all down again. To hear you say that I'm your friend. Father, may we lay down our unforgiveness. May we lay down the things that have kept us in bondage. God, may we lay them down. God, to hear you say those words over us. Not only that we're forgiven, but that we are loved. You're across this room and just sing this out with us this morning. Come on, just press into the Lord right now. Just point your attention and focus to Him and sing this out. Father, we ask that you would help us 
to know that you are near. Father, I pray that even as many will leave this room today, I pray, God, that they will walk in a newfound freedom, God. God, I recognize this, that even, even if people wouldn't get out of their seat and come to an altar, God, they can still meet with you right where they are. So I pray, God, that we would walk in a newfound freedom. God, that we would realize that unforgiveness, God, could hinder a miracle, but how forgiveness can release a miracle. And I pray that even this week, as we look to this week and what's ahead, God, that if we experience moments where we've been wronged or hurt or someone does something, I pray that our first response would be a response of forgiveness, a response of love, a response to them of saying, I am going to love you through this. I'm going to pray for my enemies. I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to pray for those who have hurt me. I'm going to pray for those who have wronged me. And Father, I pray that it will be in those moments, God, that miracles will be released across our community, across our church, God, across our families, across our lives. And so, Father, I just pray that you'll just continue to move in our hearts and in our lives today, God, as we continue to seek you. Father, may this song truly be our heart's cry today. God, that you're all we want, you're all we desire. And, Father, that you would just draw us into your presence. In Jesus' name.